Exercise Confidence Followers, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode today. In this one, I get to sit down with Nick Manzano. Nick and I actually go way back. We met in elementary school. I've been fortunate enough to see Nick's confidence journey unfold, but in this episode, I actually got to learn a lot more details about why he is the way that he is in terms of his own confidence and how the way his journey unfolded allowed him to make decisions that aided in his confidence. Nick attributes a lot of who he is to the family that he has, especially his mom. Nick currently works in marketing in Los Angeles, California, and he was generous enough to share his time and his story with us. So without further ado, let's dive into this episode of Exercise Confidence with Nick Manzano. Hey, Exercise Confidence listeners, today I'm sitting down with Nick. Okay, you got to say your last name for me. How do you say it? Uh, it's pronounced Maridueña. Maridueña. So there we go. And we're really excited to have Nick today. Nick, thank you for being on the podcast. Of course, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So Nick, I like to start it off with, in 20 seconds or less, tell us a little bit about yourself. Wow, that's a very short window. I'm sure I just blew 12 seconds of that. Uh, well, I'm a pretty outgoing person. I love being outdoors, working out, uh, reading, playing video games. I'm also a huge nerd, so Star Wars, Lord of the Rings are all big things for me. Uh, don't get me started on what Disney's done to them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, looks like a sore subject, so we'll leave Disney out of this. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks. Thank you for a little bit of that backstory. So, Nick, one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is I've only had a few encounters with you, but every time I've been in your presence, you are a captivatingly confident person. And so, are you someone that's been confident your entire life? As far as I can remember, yeah. Uh, I think my confidence is generally just broken down as being very extroverted. Um I'm pretty easy to talk to, and I don't mind initiating conversation. It just me, needs me to be in an atmosphere where, you know, I'm comfortable with kind of taking the lead, which is most scenarios, I think. Growing up, was there any, like, time in your life where you can kind of attribute why you're such an outgoing person are you like the youngest of your siblings were your parents really outgoing like did you have any examples of that sure uh so my dad is a very full-fledged cleric uh he's oh, very I love that. outgoing very talkative very friendly uh he is a take charge kind of guy and you know i am the youngest and if you you know put a whole lot of stock into this i am also a leo um, which means that when I do interact with people, I get very passionate very easily. And it just means that I'm, I'm gen- generally a pre- pretty friendly guy unless you rub me the wrong way, which generally takes some effort. Um, but pretty much for my entire life that I can remember, I've always uh, enjoyed being you know, out and about with people. Um, although with time... I think my extroversion has become tempered a little bit because just realizing the different types of people there are out there and who I want to surround myself. So if I'm not extroverted around you, it means that 
I need to get to know you a little more before I show you that side of me. That's a great way to approach life, especially as we get older. Like when we're young, we're like, oh yeah, I can be friends with everybody. And sometimes that can be a pitfall when you get older because people unfortunately yeah. take advantage of it, which sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but you can definitely like battle through that. But you said something that um, I want to circle back to the idea of a caloric because some of our listeners may not know what that is I literally just learned about these temperaments I want to say like two or three years ago so I identify as a powerful caloric for sure um, but then there's melancholy there's sanguine and I'm I'm blanking on the fourth one phlegmatic oh my gosh phlegmatic yeah because because calorics can't be in the same freaking situation as a phlegmatic or else we'll just lose our minds exactly um, okay so for listeners, caloric is somebody that uh, has attributes of being go-getters, uh, extroverted, uh, confident, all the things that you think of when you think of people that maybe um, could inspire you, like people that do TED Talks or whatever, but it's not always the case. And then, Nick, I'll let you explain what a melancholy is because you did let me know that that's kind of your temperament. <laughs> yeah, so being a melancholy choleric, which means that I'm mostly melancholy with choleric tendencies, and, and that's like my kind of second, secondary characteristic or personality. Um, melancholies are generally very sensitive to their emotions. Um, they're huge perfectionists. That is like the biggest thing about a melancholy is that they're very perfectionists, which means that you know, for anyone who's a perfectionist out there, they know, like, it's hard for them to start things because they don't want to start it unless they can, A, finish it, or B, do it, you know, perfectly. Um, melancholies have a lot of um, emotions, and it, it can be difficult to find a way to incorporate those emotions into their lives without it hindering them. Um, another big part about melancholies is that they're actually pretty big introverts they enjoy being alone um they enjoy kind of like solitary activities like reading um so that's definitely part of me i think it's interesting that you self-proclaimed as an extrovert and really being able to go up and talk to anybody and then there's that caveat that melancholies are introverts because for me it's the flip like calorics are supposed to be like super extroverted super like always wanting to engage with others and i'm more of like I, i'm such an introvert <laughs> i love my me time i love my alone time and honestly i realized it once i first started doing the podcast because i'd interview people and like after the time span of talking with them i was like drained and exhausted yep. and i realized like i would have to schedule these to be on days where i have nothing else that needs my like pertinent attention and energy because I learned yep. that about myself like oh I'm an introvert like oh my gosh that's draining like I can do it and I enjoy it but after I'm like I need to unplug and recharge big time yeah uh, I think ultimately you can either decide you can find out which one you are in regards to how how strong your social battery is <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a great way to put it. How long you can go into social interaction without needing to recharge. <laughs> that is a great way to put it. Okay, listeners. So if you don't know if you're an introvert or an extrovert, take stock of your social battery next time you're interacting with people. If it goes out quick, you might be an introvert. <laughs> and if you have a Duracell social battery, then you might be an extrovert. <laughs> 
in terms of understanding temperament so we talked about caloric we talked about melancholy um sanguines tend to be like happy-go-lucky kind of just approach life in that very like whimsy way and uh life of the party is how it was described to me um and then phlegmatics are very much like procrastinators kind of like don't care to take charge they go with the flow they're like oh whatever uh apathetic yeah you can kind of think about them as the hippie version of both melancholy and cholerics more laid back yeah go with the flow that's a great way to put it now that we've kind of like touched on all of this temperament stuff and listeners, I'll link a couple books that I use to kind of figure out my temperament and really help myself growth personally. Um, did you feel like once you were aware of your temperament that it helped you better understand yourself for your own self-growth in any way? Oh, definitely. Um, growing up, you know, being a, a melancholy cleric, you know, I am very extroverted. I like to interact with the kids at school growing up, playing sports and everything. But I would find that there were times when uh, just randomly wouldn't be having a good day for whatever reason. Uh, my emotions were just kind of like more sensitive and I had, I had no idea why. Like it, it didn't make sense to me. Things that would upset me or excite me more than normal were like throwing me off the charts. And so I kind of had to learn that to, to recognize um some days I just had were just bad days. Um, they were just kind of days when I would just have to go with the flow, roll with the motion, <laughs> uh, because I, I just I would try to get things done that those days, but just it, it was significantly harder for me to rein in emotions that you know I'm a very logical, scientific person. It doesn't make sense to me why I can't do X, Y, and Z when I plan to do X, Y, and Z, and all of a sudden I've looked back and be like, oh, it's because of this interaction I had that really messed me up and, you know, made the next day not a good day. Yeah, I was totally, like, nodding my head in agreement on that because that's definitely, like, how my frame of mind works. Um, And so that's somewhere that I operate out of, and I'm very list-oriented, right? So I'll, like, write down all the things I need to get done, and somewhere in there... If there's something that wasn't intended or maybe doesn't go as planned, I'm like, it'll throw me off. And in hindsight, I'm like, okay, why the heck did everything like go to crap that day? What happened in there? Oh, that's why. But instead, I'm very like hard on myself. And so I'll like, I'll spend the whole day like beating myself up. But I've had to like retrain my brain to be like, no, that's not productive. And we don't do that anymore. (laughs) Absolutely. When you got older and you were able to be aware of and recognize that about yourself, were there ways that you were able to implement things that could combat those triggers for you emotionally? Well, uh, one of the things that my dad has um, said to me growing up was that if someone can upset you, then they have control over you. And I kind of took that and ran with it. When I was younger, I was much more stubborn and didn't listen to him. (laughs) Yeah, I think none of us did. Lo and behold, the old man actually knew a couple of things. Who who would have known? (laughs) Exactly, right? Like, he's only been alive for like 60, 62 years now. Um, But that was a big thing, learning learning to recognize my emotions and, and kind of like not being apathetic, but 
learning to question where is this emotion coming from, why am I feeling it, and then being able to move forward beyond that. Uh, making it, it, it's, it honestly comes down to just making a conscious decision. Um, you are com- you are always in complete control of your emotions in the sense that you can decide to move past them or not. Uh, it may be incredibly difficult, um, definitely not easy for some situations and some things that, ca- that happen, but that's something I very much firmly believe um, is that people can say or act however they want, but at the end of the day, you control your reaction or at least your conscious reaction because something can still upset you but then you decide, okay, I'm not going to let this overpower me. So for me, it was just learning to start kind of questioning myself and not in a negative, pessimistic kind of way, but in a I'm trying to learn kind of way, because that's a very, very big uh, differentiation. You said like a bunch of different things in there, like three of them I wrote down that were like so spot on and I want to make sure we uh, dive a little deeper and touch on more. Let's go with making conscious decisions because ironically, that's something that I've been touching a lot on in some of the posts that I've been putting on exercise confidence these past couple weeks because I have actively, consciously learned how to like shift my mind from oh, it is what it is, or oh, it just wasn't meant to be, to like, no. The theme of like my mind lately has been you're either going to make an excuse or you're going to make a way for it to happen. And I like that you were talking about that in terms of you make a decision, right? And so that's not always an easy thing to do. And I guess in regards to with you specifically, you have like started this public quote-unquote fitness journey right that you like are putting out there and I love it it's inspiring and it's also another reason why I wanted you on the podcast and so making that decision to not only one start on this journey but two make it public let's talk about that because that's what I would love to get into like why was this what you chose to put your energy into sure so being physically fit has always been um a big hobby of mine uh growing up i always played sports and i loved it and i, I i'm competitive i'm a cleric i have is, i have competition issues so winning preach. is like it <laughs> oh it preach. Is, if you're not winning you're not having fun sort of thing which i yep. know is a total lie you can still have fun without winning nope. quote unquote. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm super competitive too so i'm like everything you're saying i'm like oh my soul is <laughs> My soul is agreeing with yours. Like, no, you can There's obviously no such still. Thing as a moral victory. No, like you can obviously still. Listeners, we're joking. You can obviously still have tons of fun without winning, unless you're Absolutely. a caloric. Absolutely. Uh, no, for me, it. Uh, I, when I was younger, that's what you know I focused on, and and so for me, physical fitness has been something that I've always strived for, and kind of recently, I'd probably say within the last probably about four years ago I started going to the gym and I went sporadically and you know I would kind of pick out whichever guy I thought was like the buffest and be like I want to be bigger than him or I want to be lifting heavier than him or I want to reach this point you know 
and uh, I just kind of kept doing that over and over again and eventually it got to a point where I started actually seeing results I mean it took years um, I went sporadically for about a year and a half and then started going more uh, regularly and have subsequently increased the number of times I actually do work out but the reason why I wanted to start like this kind of fitness journey with other people and kind of make it public is because there's a lot of influencers out there who you know focus on physical appearance and how to get this kind of in shape and you know it's a lot of great stuff and and good content and it's good-hearted of course but I think what I really wanted to focus on was more of the mental aspect of it you know mental health issues have become the forefront of everyone's mind in the last like year and a half Uh, as someone who actually works kind of in mental health adjacent uh, I see it all the time so I wanted to provide another outlet or another source for people that wasn't just about getting the awesome looking body that you want but also having the mentality that makes you a beautiful person not just physically that is so awesome I love the sentiment that you shared about why it's important to you and how it kind of cultivated itself in your life and why you're doing it publicly the work that you do what is that what is the line of work that you're in sure I'm a judicial assistant in the mental health courthouse I you know I'm sit, I sit in the courtroom all day and I, I listen to these cases and I'm taking notes on all of them making sure that the record is clear um, because at the end of, at the end of each case hearing I will type up a minute order which is kind of like a synopsis or a summary of everything that happened, you know, this this attorney made this motion, the judge ruled this way, um, the judge ordered this, or anything else. And um, with that kind of exposure, you know, you hear about all these uh, defendants or respondents in some circumstances where, you know, the person may have allegedly committed a crime and as a result when they're in the criminal court the judge or the public defender is like hey i don't know if this person can completely understand what's going on uh we want to make sure that they can understand the proceedings and that they can aid in their own defense um so when that happens they get sent over to the mental health court and from there they get evaluated by um a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist writes up a report, and it'll go one of two ways. If they if they are competent to understand what's going on, then they'll just go right back to the criminal court. But if they're not competent or found to be not competent, then they will be ordered to participate in some kind of treatment. Um, one of the big things that our courthouse has been really pushing for is community-based restoration programs, which... For those defendants that are eligible for that, it has made tremendous uh, positive, has given them positive effects um, where they're able to, you know, be in a secure setting where they're getting treatment, where they're getting medication, where they're being able to go to groups with other uh, people who are still, who are also in this similar situation. So seeing, I'm, I'm like very much in the thick of the mental health battle for LA. (laughs) 
No, that's such meaningful work. So thank you for what you do. Thank you for sure. sharing. We appreciate that. Dealing with such taxing situations in the work that you do and what you are coming across every day, do you feel that being physically fit and being committed to your health in terms of exercising, working out, helps with your mental clarity on a day-to-day basis? Absolutely. I originally was in the routine of going to the gym after work, and it would be great because all the all the stress and the aggravation of being at work, uh, despite even if you love your work, it, it can always be a taxing on you. And so being able to, to go to the gym after work uh, has been great for me to help kind of renew and revitalize myself. Um, however, there was a time where I actually started going to the gym before work and I actually noticed that that was even more, had even more positive effect on my attitude throughout the day and kind of like staying power at, you know, 100% as opposed to, you know, getting up. I don't drink coffee. I don't know how I do it. I just don't. But getting oh, up in the day. Breaking and then... my heart. No coffee? <laughs> I'm a coffee fiend. It's probably bad. Uh, it's the smell. I can't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, um, if I get up, you know, I'm, you know, tired, trying to move, get ready for work. I get to work and I'm maybe at 75%. And then by the end of the work day, I'm at, I'm at like 40%. Mm. And that's when I get to the gym. And by the end of the gym, I'm back at a hundred percent. Um, but when I would go to the gym before work, you know, I'd wake up, go to the gym I wouldn't be able to lift or do as much because my energy level just wasn't there. But after I'd get home from the gym, shower, get ready for work, and go to go to work, I noticed that I was starting work at like 95, 100%, like feeling so much better for the rest of the day. And uh, exercising for me has been a tremendously helpful um, outlet for my own physical and mental health. The first time you went into like a gym with like this goal of, okay, I'm going to get to where I want to be, whatever that looked like for you. Was it intimidating at all? Or were you just ready to throw yourself into it? I would say it was definitely both. Um, Even though I'm a very outgoing person and very competitive person, I have no problem walking up to like the biggest guy that I meet on like a football field or a basketball court and be like, you, I'm guarding you. Like I have no problem doing that. That's just my mentality. But even still, you know, you still feel kind of this anxiety, like nervousness. Everyone's looking at me like I'm the new guy at the gym. Like, uh, I don't know what kind of machines or equipment they have. Like, even if I've walked through before, like, uh, you know, something simple as going to the locker room to change. Like, you know, it's always the first time at a new gym, even a couple of times, even the first couple of times are always a little like, okay, stay in my shell (laughs) and just get through the day. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Okay, like, 
being somebody that is going to go up and guard the biggest guy on like a basketball court or something like that's never me i like try to size up somebody that's like me and go after that <laughs> but <laughs> again i feel like that just stems from like some kind of deep-rooted belief in yourself and your abilities so with like your family life and your home life growing up like would you say like one or both of your parents was a really great example of that kind of self-assured like boldness and confidence for you or like maybe a sibling oh definitely um my dad was both of my parents are very um athletically inclined and so genetically speaking i think i you know got lucky with that because right. <laughs> you know it just it fell off or rubbed off on me um for one there's that kind of like natural ability but also I, I know that I had a great childhood I know that I had a very loving family um I know that I'm extraordinarily lucky to have both of my parents still married um I have two older siblings both of which are very intelligent very also athletically gifted like so being the youngest was always like man like I gotta like show everybody up like I'm living in my my sister who's the oldest is total alpha female like you do not mess with her love that I might have to interview her <laughs> yeah she's awesome uh, my brother is a little more laid back he's he's much more calculated much more observant very okay with letting things come to him, but he's still fiercely intelligent and fiercely competitive. And so for me, it was kind of like, man, growing up in that kind of <laughs> environment, I had to learn how to be one of the pack, so to speak. <laughs> oh, I like that. It's great because I think you also, at a young age, it sounds like made a conscious decision to join in and Oh my god, I hate to say this, but like level up for lack of a better term. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that uh, too, but but yeah. Right. And and instead of like allowing it to intimidate you or overwhelm you or make you want to um become more meek instead of following suit and pursuing that same kind of like boldness in all things that you try to tackle. Do you think that is more of a nature or nurture aspect at least in in your own experience well I think for me personally and I, I'm sure that this is definitely going to cause debate or at least an extended conversation for other people who may listen to this but for me personally I know that it's more nature I went to school for biochemistry got my degree in it and I gotta tell you man genetics are a very powerful thing I think nurture is also incredibly important. People are very much socialized in certain ways. However, their genetic biological inclinations are not to be understated or underestimated. When you think about if someone is confident in themselves, I generally think of, you know, or people generally think that they have high self-esteem. And I am not a fan of that word, self-esteem. Uh, because it boils down to how good you feel about yourself, which is not a very scientific thing, feeling good about yourself. 
not to mention the fact that you're constantly trying to improve yourself. So, like, why should you feel good about yourself? Because you know that you're inadequate in X, Y, or Z. So why should you be okay with that? So for me, it comes down to how innately extroverted you are, which that is kind of an innate thing. But you can, you know, definitely instill that kind of habit in people. Um, It's not that you make them less anxious. It's that you make them more courageous. And, you know, psychology, I've been listening to this podcast by this guy, Dr. Jordan Peterson, and, you know, as a clinical psychologist, he's, you know, read a lot of this stuff and done his own experiments and written his own papers on these things, and he has some very powerful evidence to back up. It's not about making you feel less bad about yourself or even more good about yourself. It's about doing more for yourself. I really love that like I wrote it down here not less anxious more courageous and it's interesting because I think when we're focusing on trying to better ourselves or change something about ourselves or what have you we think that there has to be like this elimination process right like whatever it is like even when it comes to something like losing weight which people try to do all the time every day like oh I have to eliminate these pounds from myself rather than I have to build more muscle strength or build more stamina right and so I like that view shift from less to more and the fact that um what you're saying about this podcast and the doctor that you listen to what's the name of the podcast so we could link it in case any of our listeners want to take it uh Dr. Jordan Peterson it's just under his name yeah sweet all right cool yeah definitely want to link that but yeah all that you just said is super relevant, I think, in ways that maybe are very understated, especially nowadays. Oh, yeah. And in terms of, like, the whole mental health thing that we talked about. Going back to your degrees in biochemistry and yes. you're a judicial assistant, how did that leap occur? You know, growing up, I always loved watching the science and history channels. Um Nat Geo and everything Discovery was always on TV for me. When I, whenever I had the remote, which was rare being the youngest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've always had like this um, fascination with science and the world around us, and especially with mathematics. Um, I think math is, this is going to sound crazy, but I think math is incredibly beautiful. And physics, to me, is just math in motion. Um, So I started out as a physics major, but quickly realized um, it was a little more than I thought that I wanted. (laughs) I think a lot of us start in one major and then completely end up with something that's at least a caveat or different. Absolutely. Uh, So I I searched around, took a couple of different classes and different things, thought about criminology, thought about sociology, linguistics, because languages are big for me. And at the time I was taking, you know, classes for my physics major, and one of them was chemistry. And I had always liked chemistry. It's just that there was this certain aspect. um, It's a very simple aspect, very simple understanding in chemistry that you have to have that just wasn't clicking for me yet because I had taken chemistry in high school and I had taken kind of an intro intro chemistry class before this one. 
But eventually, in this second class that I took, it, it clicked. And from then, I was just like, oh my gosh, this is how this works. <laughs> and uh, for me, it was just like a no-brainer. Like, I love chemistry, and I love biology, and I, I love understanding how everything works. So that's how it ended up going into biochemistry. Um, I'm probably one of the few people that you'll hear this from, but I loved OCHEM. I loved it. <laughs> I rolled my eyes right now, listeners, because I I liked OCHEM more than GenChem. Like, general chemistry was, like, the bane of my existence, and I barely scraped by. And I got to OCHEM, and I think it has something to do with really getting down to, like, the shape of the molecules. That was, like, yeah. really, like, click because visually, I guess, for me, um, in structures and such. So I didn't hate it, but I wouldn't say, like... I want to take it. To, I want. I don't want to take it to the prom or anything. You know, it's like, I don't love it. Well, for me, I loved it because it was exactly what you said. You could finally see how everything works. Like visually, it got broken down for me, and it was just. I don't know. I I really enjoyed it. Um, and so while I was, I went to school at Cal State Northridge, and while I was there, I was lucky enough to be a part of the, an internship that allowed me to work in a professor's research lab on her project. It was a tremendously ex awesome experience. I'm so incredibly grateful for it. I got to work with all kinds of different equipment, learn so much more in practice that I didn't get a chance to learn in my lectures. And after that, I knew that I wanted to be in that field. Um, but I want, after I graduated, I wanted to take a year off to work in the field and see what it was like. And so I did, and I had a couple of different jobs at different um, science companies. And uh, I just realized that it wasn't for me. The way that they were working on things, just kind of the culture, the atmosphere, the environment, uh, realizing that the industry portion of biochemistry wasn't what I had hoped for. So I never went back for my master's degree, although that's what I had planned. I, a couple of years passed by as I was doing kind of random odd jobs for a little while. I was working with a real estate friend. <laughs> I think everyone has that phase when they're looking for a job. Oh, yeah, I've had some incredibly disconnected odd jobs in that phase of my life between undergrad and figuring out what's next. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then my brother had a colleague that he was working with who had a friend that told this guy who then in turn told my brother about this job. He applied for it, got it as a judicial assistant. And then another year or two goes by and the job opening is still there. So I apply and after going through their process, I got accepted. So it's been a long windy journey Having such a passion for biochemistry and really having that click for you and finding this beauty in the sciences and math that you did in undergrad versus the reality of the industry as an adult going into work for it, how did you resolve that disconnect and kind of combat that disheartening heartache to be able to listen to yourself and shift your life instead of trudging through something that you were like, well, I kind of chose this, I'm just going to stick with it. 
Because we see it all the time. We see people that like oh, get a degree in something that they think they love or they love learning about. They get to it. The reality is they hate it and they just stick with it for 20, 30, 40 miserable yeah. years. There was a pretty big turning point for me in my life. Um, I think it was when I turned 20 years old. My family and I were having our family dinner uh, to celebrate my birthday. And, you know, it was just immediate family, brother, sister, mom and dad. My dad sat, sat us down and looked at both me and my brother, and he asked us a very simple but very strong question. He said, are you happy with your life and with where you're going? And at the time, I think I might have still been a physics major. Um, but either way, that question really stuck with me because... It made me realize I am the only person living my life. Like, yes. Growing up playing video games, you know, you can switch between characters, you die, you respawn, you get a new life, you can do a different path or whatever. But realizing that no one else can live my life for me. And that what that means is that I am responsible for my decisions, my choices, and the consequences, whether they be good or bad, uh, I'm responsible for them. And it made me realize that I don't want to do anything that I don't want to do. <laughs> so it was a very simple kind of paradigm shift for me. But it was still very impactful. Um, the end result is my decision that I don't want to have any regrets. Because if I regret something, that means that I didn't intentionally want it at one point. And for me, what that meant, what that would have meant if, if I had any regrets going forward, it would have meant that I wasn't making decisions for me. That I was doing something for someone else because I was trying to get someone else's approval. And uh, I just, I didn't want to live like that anymore. I wanted to live for me and enjoy my life. And, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it was just about taking responsibility for myself um, and making decisions to live however I chose to live. I love, I just love it. I love all of it. And I think a lot of people don't either have someone audibly intentionally ask them if they're happy, but in turn, I think a lot of people don't really ask themselves that. And the whole realization of I'm the only one living my life is such an important thing. I think for so many people to realize, because once that clicked for me and I was older than you were when it happened for me, I was probably like, mid 20s i'd say um which is still a lot earlier than it ever happens if at all for some oh, people yeah so um, many people don't ever experience that yeah but i was like it came at a time when i was also like behind in life like i hadn't gotten my bachelor's degree yet i was already like 24 or something and i was feeling inadequate and i was like you know what i am on nobody's timeline but my own and it was kind of similar to your situation i was having a conversation with my dad one night like at the kitchen counter like super random uh, big shout out to Papa Nasari. He's the homie. I <laughs> love my dad. But he was just like, he could tell I was I was just going through it. It was a 
stuff because of school because of work um the old relationship i was in at the time and i was he could see i was weighed down and he's like uh he's from iran so he was all you know talking to me in farsi like baba june like what is wrong like what like you don't look like yourself and i like well expelled like all of my crap i was going through <laughs> and he was like you know i'm not gonna say it here but he was like f it you know like so what like it's not their life it's your life you don't like your major change it you're not happy in your relationship leave it like if it's not going to get fixed if you're not both willing to work on it forget it like and guess what you're on nobody's timeline but your own so you get your bachelor's next semester two years from now whatever he's like travel enjoy your life he's like take it from me like please listen i've lived it all already like you have to do what makes you your happiest in your life and like yes you have to work for it you can't just bob around doing nothing but find what you love and do it on purpose absolutely all right dad and i i would kind of amend my dad's question from are you happy to do you have meaning Mm. because happiness is so fleeting Mm -hmm. it's a very shallow goal it's very shallow the point of your life is not to be happy because very few times in your life are you actually happy (laughs) i love how philosophical this is getting i love it Um, but I mean, it's so true. Like, like people ask, what's the point of life? What's the meaning of life? And, and it's, happiness is not the answer. I'll tell you that right now. Um, if you're constantly chasing a feeling, then you are sadly mistaken. And, you know, it's, it's much, it's a much higher goal to chase meaning to do something meaningful, whether that's, you know, starting a nonprofit organization, whether that's having a family, whether that's going to med school or law school, or even just raising a family, struggling, being a single parent. Like there's so much meaning in so many of the things that people do. Like everyone thinks that they need the latest gadget or like the biggest house or the nicest car or or the biggest muscles or the best body for women like it's not about those things like people don't look low enough for god that's uh i think that was said by frederick nietzsche might have been carl jung they're both very old psychologists or psychiatrists that is honestly um something i've never heard but i it's a loaded sentiment and I love it. I think it is something that can absolutely help because as you mentioned, it's almost, it's almost like always chasing that next great thing that um, society puts worth on, but it only has worth because we choose to believe that it has that worth and people, so many people choose to go after it, but there is such a beauty and simplicity. And I did this one um, workshop with a guy named Chris Pan. He runs a bunch of like nonprofits and companies and fortunate enough to have an encounter. And it was about like, what do you want more of in your life? Right. And when you got down to like, it came down to one word, like you had to find what your word was. Right. But then the thought behind that is, so let's say somebody's word was happiness, right? They wanted more happiness. Then you had to take it one step further. Once you delve down all the way to funneling to this one word, it's like, well, what is going to what is happiness for you? Like, what is, does that look like for you? Like, and just like you said, like, is it starting a family? Is, are all these different things in life? Because it's not one constant state of always happy because then 
there's nothing to compare it to. You're, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be just like stagnant. And even if you are happy, you're not going to fully embrace that. And so I think that's why I love sharing journeys about people on the podcast because it allows us to have a form of contentment in our confidence journey where it is, but to also know that it doesn't end. Like it never ends. Like there's always something more, not necessarily, I don't want to say more, but there's always something down the road on the journey that is life. Yeah. And so I like, I love that sentiment so much. So tacking off of that quote that you said, you said you're a reader. So are you currently reading anything that you think is uh, worth sharing? Oh God, the sci-fi fantasy nerd in me is coming out. <laughs> you're like the similarian. It's the Actually, I haven't read it. You haven't? I've never read it. You're wasting your time. What are you doing sitting here talking to me? Go I read am. the book now. I absolutely am. <laughs> Call yourself a um, fan. No, that's on my list for sure. I have a very long list of books that I want to read. But the book that I'm reading now is by that uh, guy, Dr. Jordan Peterson. It's called Maps of Meaning. He wrote that book as kind of like, it's kind of like his capstone um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I can't remember it. Like, kind of like his capstone dissertation, but it's like a full-on textbook sort of thing. Like, um, you're reading like a textbook. I'm I'm reading a textbook. Wow, <laughs> he's cut from a different cloth. <laughs> um, but it's really it's it's all about the evolution of of human psychology. Um, and how it's been instantiated from even the earliest stages of life. Uh, for instance, he talks about the um, he talks about how your central nervous system, parts of it have been conserved through evolution since lobsters came into existence. And lobsters are really old. Lobsters are older than trees. Before trees ever evolved, there were lobsters. And lobsters have very similar nervous systems to our own, especially when it comes to how dopamine affects it. Mm. Um, And so it's really cool to see that if you give antidepressants to lobsters, it actually has positive effects similar to those that it has on humans makes me happy for the lobsters (laughs) gives Um, me a little dopamine but but i'm doing it i'm not doing it justice um he talks about how the evolution of humans and how stories have been conserved so on his podcast you'll see that he has this series that he's done on the book of genesis and it's completely based in psychology like it's he doesn't discuss theology or anything like that. It's very specifically about the psychology of those stories in the book of Genesis. And it, it's incredibly fascinating to read those, to, to learn that parts of who you are are so deeply conserved in all of humanity that there are reasons why we all connect with certain stories like 
who everyone is fundamentally, they're all in their own hero myth, their own hero story. Like, everyone is either the main character of their own story or letting themselves be the side character of someone else's story. Yeah, that's super That's super true. It sounds like a really interesting book, so if any of the listeners are interested in hearing it, we'll link it below. Like, legit, no, legitimately, you're laughing at me. I'm, I'm serious. It does sound interesting because it's going back to what you're saying about, like, the lobsters and the way that their nervous system almost is, in a way, mirror of ours, and antidepressants will help them the same way that they can affect a human that maybe has a chemical imbalance, like... I'm somebody that, as a whatever, caloric, as just me, as whatever, I get anxious and I overthink like crazy and I have to like actively, consciously, like physically grab my own thoughts and be like, no, we're not doing that. And when right. I get to a point where it's overwhelming, <laughs> I remember one time, uh, it's like way back after an incident I had gone through in life and I needed a therapist, um, she was like, well, you know what you can always tell yourself, right? And I was like, oh, she's going to give me the secret to life to help me overcome my anxiety like what tell me what can I tell myself and she's like just tell yourself like it's all chemical (laughs) (laughs) I I was like literal mid panic attack I was like sobbing in her office and I just started cracking up and so now it it doesn't always obviously snap me out there are some days that I just I don't know I go through it and then there's days when I'm fine but some of those moments when when I can you know, do a little memory recall. I'm like, what are you freaking out about? It's all chemical. Like, exactly. It's not your fault. It's messing up. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I would amend my earlier answer about which books and everything for those for a little lighter of a read. Um, the Alchemist is an incredible book. Oh, I love The Alchemist. And so is Tuesdays with Maury. We will link all of these books, listeners. If you're readers, I highly suggest grabbing a physical copy and just taking some time with some iced tea or coffee or water or wine or whatever and enjoying these books. And if you're not a reader and you're a listener, and that's obviously why you're listening to a podcast, try Audible. I think any way that you can ingest information that is going to be best suited for your style is great. And Tuesday with Maury is actually a movie. So, oh, even better. If you're not audio, go for the visual. I've never read Tuesdays with Maury, but I I see it on all these book lists that it's like amazing, amazing. It really is. All right. Well, then I'll put that on my on my list too. Uh, but The Alchemist was like a game changer for me too because I don't know why I felt so like intrinsically connected with this book. And I've reread it so many times, and I, I highlight my books, and there's so many markings all over this poor thing, but... Um, oh, my God. I would hate you. Don't no. touch my books. <laughs> That's why they're my books. So. Leave them in mint condition. <laughs> Not me. Those babies look like they have been well-read, like, big time. You can tell, like, oh, she loves that one. She loves that book. It's a mess. <laughs> no, but uh, honestly, I think that this time that we've been able to talk and share has been really impactful, really empowering. I think that there are a lot of things in here that hopefully the listeners can take away from it. If you had one piece of advice to give our listeners so that they could exercise confidence every day, what would it be? Do as little as you need to each time 
what I mean by that is just baby steps. I'm kind of trying out a new catchphrase for myself. As a perfectionist, um, one of the things I fear most is failure. So this new catchphrase that I'm trying out is fail better each time, meaning fail a little less or do a little more, but let it be your decision. One of the books that I read, one of the pieces of advice was um, to fail fast, fail often, and succeed as quickly as possible. There you go. So that's a great motto. Thank you for sharing your special catchphrase with the rest of us civilians. We appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. But no, I appreciate all the sentiments you shared today. I know without a doubt there is a wealth of information that somebody is going to just absolutely soak up from what you shared. So thank you so much, honestly, sincerely, especially during these unprecedented times to just take this time and really uh, earnestly share your story and how you exercise confidence. So thank you so much for being on today, Nick. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And then if you want to follow or connect with Nick, we will link his socials and such in the bio. So have a great day. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Jasmine. Bye. Bye. Listeners, what a beautiful last piece of advice we were given in today's episode. I love the sentiment that this too shall pass. It is such a beautiful phrase that reminds us that what we may be going through, though it may seem all-consuming or overwhelming, is momentary and just temporary. I hope you can cling to that with anything that you may be encountering right now. I know a lot of us have felt like that sentiment maybe is a lie this past year as we are continually waiting for life to return back to normal or maybe it's a different mountain you're facing in your own personal life but whatever it is i hope that you're able to exercise confidence in some of what nick shared with us and his own journey story and decisions that he made to pursue his own path confidently and to always remind himself that this too shall pass Tune in next week as I sit down with Tally Goody. Tally is an attorney and she shares her story as a woman in the legal industry and how she was able to cultivate confidence in herself and open her own law firm. Tally is such a pleasure to speak with and I know she is going to be a pleasure to listen to. She's so warm-hearted, so generous, and such an incredible resource and mentor. I'm super excited to share her episode. So please tune in next week on Exercise Confidence as we get to talk with Tally Goody. For now, signing off, I am JR Nasari, and I hope that you find a way to exercise confidence every day.